G'day friends, welcome back. So, apart from my reviews of The Mandalorian and my one review of a Black Mirror episode, uh, which doesn't really count, this is my first go at reviewing a TV show. So, um, we'll see how I go, I suppose. Um, and, and what a show it is. Let's be real. What a show this is. This could almost be called a hidden gem. Like a lot of people have watched The Haunting of Hill House, but I feel like a lot of people are put off by the fact that it's a horror series, which is fair enough. Yeah, some people get anxiety or they end up with sleep problems from watching horror or they're just, you know, chicken shit, whatever. Um, but I tell you what, for whatever reason, people haven't seen this, they've missed out. The Haunting of Hill House isn't just a horror series. Right? It is an intense family drama that tackles the effects of trauma on children once they reach adulthood. Right? It's a show that takes the horror genre and takes it to another level and another dimension. Right? This is absolutely one of the best Netflix-produced properties that we have seen. So, season one is Hill House, and that was reduced, that was reduced, released in 2018. And then the follow-up, season two, which was The Haunting of Bly Manor, was released last year. Um, they're both superb. They're also a little different. Um, they share like a, 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 some of the same cast, a lot of the same cast, say so some of the same cast, um, but there's no connection between the stories. It's like an American Horror Story, that kind of deal. Um, so today I'm reviewing Hill House, and then next week I will review Bly Manor, back-to-back scary time. Um, so Hill House and Bly Manor. But Hill House was created by Mike Flanagan, um, it stars Victoria Pedretti, Oliver Jackson Cohen, Henry Thomas, who is Elliot from E.T., which is kind of cool, um, Carla Gugino, I believe is how it's pronounced, Kate Segal, Elizabeth Reeser, Michael Hoosman, and Timothy Hutton. Um, now, there will be plenty of spoilers, and believe me, this show has some of the best twists ever. If you want, go and binge it all first and then come back and listen to this. I am not fucking around here. Do not listen to this if you haven't watched The Haunting of Hill House. I am deadly serious, right? I say spoiler warning all the time, but this is another thing. You have been warned, all right? I promise you it's not that scary. You won't regret it. All right. Let's get into it.
will just say again, big, big spoilers. Spoilers so big that I would seriously recommend that you watch the show before you listen to this any further. Alright, that was your final warning. Because the house itself, Hill House that is, is a sentient interdimensional time-travelling vessels for the souls off which it feeds. This house is the scariest horror monster, entity, or whatever you want to call it, that I have ever seen and has probably ever been conceived. Right? It's so brilliant, so genius, and so fucked, all at the same time. Right, so... The Haunting of Hill House is about the Crane family, who move into Hill House in the summer of 1992 to flip it and sell before the kids go back to school, right? Um, the family consists of Hugh and Olivia, with the parents, and then Steve, Shirley, Theodora, Luke and Nell are the five children. Um, I'm honestly not sure where to begin with this review, I could give an episode by episode breakdown, but the non non the non linear timeline um, that runs through the show makes that a little bit difficult. So I'm just going to sort of start with what the show is about, and then I will run from there. Run from there. I will roll on from there. Is kind of what I was going for there. Okay, so. Hill House is about grief and trauma and how those things can affect children as they grow into adults. So while they're living in Hill House, the Crane family experience a number of traumatic events that turn them into very messed up individuals as adults. The show cuts back and forth between their time at Hill House in 1992 and the events in their lives in present day 2018, right? Um, a really cool aspect of the show is that as adults, um, the Crane children represent the five stages of grief in descending order of age, right? So Steve's the oldest, he's denial, right? He doesn't think that any of the events of Hill House really happened, rather that his family has a genetic mental illness that leads them to experience schizophrenic episodes. Yeah, Steve's a bit of a dick, right? Um, Shirley is next, and she is anger. She holds an enormous amount of pent-up rage, which she just unleashes willy-nilly and unfairly at anyone who upsets her. Um, Theodora who is probably the most interesting of the children. She represents bargaining. And I'll get into why when I talk about her a little bit later on, just because it's a bit complicated. Um, Luke and Nell are twins, but with Luke being the older twin, he's next. Luke is depression. Uh, he spends years as a heroin addict. He has many brushes with death. He steals from his family and he struggles to really commit to any rehab and then lastly Nell is acceptance and the reason that she is acceptance is just about the most heartbreaking thing 
in the entire show. Um, and as with Theo, I'll sort of explain a little bit more about Nell's deal when I come to talking about her a bit later on. Okay, so the season is kind of cut into two halves. The first five episodes are allocated to each of the Crane children as they go about their lives in the lead up to a catalyst event that sets the season in motion. Um, Episode one does introduce all of our characters, but mainly revolves around Steve. Steve is an author as an adult uh, who wrote a very successful novel about the Hill House story, much to the dismay of his siblings. Um, We learn at the end of episode one that Nell has returned to the house after 26 years and committed suicide. This is the event that brings the children together and really gets the story underway. But that doesn't actually happen until episode six, as in the children all coming together. Um, Episode one is really excellent and it gets you not only invested in the story, but in each of the characters individually, which is exactly what a pilot should do. Um, Episode two is about Shirley. Uh, She runs a funeral home with her husband, Kevin. Uh, Her her episode is mainly about her first brush with death as a child. She rescued a box of kittens that were abandoned by their mother, and then they all proceed to die in a matter of days. Obviously fairly traumatic for a child. Um, This episode's probably the weakest of the series. It's my least favourite. But each of the children are equally important to the overall story, so this episode does still have its place, don't get me wrong. Um, Episode three is about Theo, Theodora, um, who, as I said before, is arguably the most interesting of the Crane children. She lives in a unit attached to Shirley's home, and she is a child psychologist. A very interesting vocation for someone who has experienced some of the most wild childhood trauma you could think of. Um, this is the reason that she represents bargaining, right? She never got the proper help that she and her siblings needed following the events of Hill House because everyone would have thought they were nuts or just wouldn't wouldn't have believed them. Um, so she does everything she can as an adult to help kids who are suffering in one way or another, right? Um, another reason that Theo is a fascinating character, is her special ability. An ability which further um, indicates that she represents bargaining. She's the only character in the show who has a gift like this. Um, Nellie is shown to have done remarkable things that she didn't even realise, and um, their mother, Olivia, has visions um, attached to migraines that she gets. But they're, like... Olivia and Nell's experiences are brought on by the house, right? And though Theo's ability first reveals itself in Hill House, if I remember correctly, um, her mum says that the women in their family have always been special in kind of like a wink and nod way, if you get what I mean. So I don't believe that Theo's gift is directly related to the house. It's one of the things that the show never makes crystal clear. It doesn't need to. But that is how I interpreted it. Um, 
So her deal is that she can feel intense emotions and events that have occurred around people or objects when she touches them. Right? She puts her hand on someone and she can feel their feelings or she touches an object and she can feel the emotions attached to something that happened around that object. She uses her gift to resolve difficult cases that she's working on. Um, we see her talk to a particularly quiet girl who she suspects has been abused by her foster parents. Uh, she, she goes to the girl's home, wanders around, touches a couch that they have in their basement. And while we don't see any of what happened, the look on Theo's face tells you all that you need to know about what happened to the girl. Kate Seagal, I think it's Seagal, or like Seagull, I don't know. Um, Kate Seagal has to do a few scenes like this in the show where Theo is experiencing a horrifying event after the fact. And her acting is nothing short of astounding. Um, there's another scene where she touches her sister's dead body and then later describes her perception of what death felt like as a living person. And it will shake you to your core. I was kind of indifferent about what death would be like. I was like, eh, it's going to happen. There's not a lot I can do. I am now dreading it just because of this one scene where this fictional character talks about like what her superpower basically allowed her to experience death as. It is horrifying the way she describes it. I'm not going to repeat it because it is not pleasant at all. Um, yeah, you really feel... Theo feeling these horrible things. It's so well done, the writing and the performance. Um, and this episode is really good and very, very intriguing. Um, episode four is about Luke, the older twin. Um, he struggled, as I said before, with heroin addiction for over a decade. Um, this episode follows his stint in rehab, um, his leaving rehab to find a friend who left willingly, um, and shows us the bowler hat ghost that haunts Luke both as a child in Hill House and as an adult. Um, this episode is called The Twin Thing, which is a nod to the common understanding that twins have a connection not shared by other siblings. Everyone knows that. Um, Luke, and in fact all of the Crane siblings, awake grabbing at their throats throughout these beginning episodes of the show. And this is in line with the moment that Nell hangs herself, showing that they all have an extra connection due to their time in Hill House. But Luke has a stronger connection to his little sister. While he's out of rehab, his friend takes all his money and he gets beaten up and mugged for the rest of his belongings. He has a real shit time. And the longer he is out wandering around and unsure what to do, he keeps getting colder. He says so many times throughout the episode that he is freezing and getting cold. It's like, I'm so fucking cold. Oh, it's so, it's so cold. Like, aren't you cold? Like, I'm so cold. He just gets, like, he keeps talking about it. Like he can't even think about anything else. He's so cold. 
And this is because that more time is passing since Nell's death and she too is getting colder. It's a really cool little touch. Really cool little touch. <laughs> um, it's also pretty fucking sad. Hey, <laughs> um, Oliver Jackson Cohen plays Luke and he's really, really solid in this show, in this episode especially. Um, and from a couple of reviews that I watched, apparently he does a very good depiction of addiction, which is a, which is a credit to him. Um, episode five is the last episode dedicated to the story of a single character. And it's where the show really fucking picks up. In fact, it's where it really jumps into the stratosphere. Okay. Episode five is about Nellie. Obviously she's the last one left. Um, the youngest of the crane children and who by far has the shittiest time of all of them. You think some of the others have a shit time? Nell has a shittier time. From her first day at Hill House to her last day walking this earth, Nell is haunted by who she calls the Bent Neck Lady. Um, this is one of the most prominent ghosts in the show. Uh, the Bent Neck Lady is always concealed in shadow. She has long dark hair. She wears a long dress. And as her name suggests, uh, her head is tilted to one side. Nell sees her regularly. She'll see her standing at the end of her bed. Sometimes she'll be perfectly horizontal over her while she sleeps. Um, even as an adult, while she's trying to get a snack from a venue machine, there's the bent neck lady. Um, the bent neck lady is one of the most horrifying images in the series. And if I was Nell, I don't think I would ever, ever open my eyes. <laughs> like it's not pleasant. Um, we, we follow Nell through her adult life as she struggles with uh, sleep paralysis. Um, this is brought on by her experiences with the bent neck lady. Um, she sees a specialist about it, Arthur, or technically Arthur's the, the tech. But anyway, she meets Arthur going to see the specialist. Um, he's very charming. And eventually the two of them fall in love and get married. They're really cute and happy. He's able to sort of help her with her sleep paralysis and he makes her really happy. This episode is nothing but peaches and cream until about halfway through when Nell is having a sleep paralysis episode in the middle of the night, Arthur gets out of bed to help her and he has an aneurysm. It comes out of nowhere. Even though we've learnt in prior episodes that her husband did pass away, it is still quite a shock. Nell is lying there fully awake, but unable to move. She's frozen and completely helpless. And then her gaze shifts to the foot of the bed where the bent neck lady is hovering. And this is her first appearance in years, according to Nell. Naturally, both Nell and us, the audience, believe that the ghoul killed Arthur. Um, but by the end of the episode, we're showing that this is not the case. He just had a straight up aneurysm, which is just shitty luck, eh? Um, Nell's new trauma <laughs> leads her to the worst psychologist on the face of the earth. This fucking idiot suggests that she return to Hill House to face her past. And I think that's kind of a bit of a... a 
like trying to be funny Easter egg because the same actor who plays this psychologist plays a ridiculous psychologist in the uh, supernatural thriller series Twin Peaks. If you haven't seen Twin Peaks, I recommend that one as well. That is a, I mean, it's a very, very odd show, but it's a very, very good show as well. Um, anyway, so Nell is completely lost. So she follows her doctor, um, follows his advice and she goes to the house this is exactly what the house wants, right? Despite it being abandoned for decades, when Nell arrives, all the lights turn on. It's calling her home. She she walks inside. She is met by apparitions of her family, her dead mother, and of Arthur. The house is manipulating her, right? Makes her drop her guard. And while it may be deceiving her in her last moments, she is actually really happy. She slow dances around the house with the illusion of Arthur, with her whole family present. That's something that she never got to have because her mum has been dead since they were kids. Her mum couldn't be at her wedding, but everyone's there and they're dancing and there's music and everything's beautiful and she's beautiful and she's smiling. She can't get the smile off her face. Um, the house... <clears throat> My throat's drying up. I wasn't, like, about to break down or anything. The house eventually leads her to the top of its spiral staircase where the ghost of her mother tricks her into looping a noose around her neck. And uh, the most heartbreaking part of the whole moment is the split second where Nell actually realises what's happening. She tries to stop herself from falling before the ghost of her mother doing the house's bidding, I must say, pushes her to her death. It's actually so fucked. It's really, really dark stuff. Of all of the Crane family, Nell was the purest and most kind. She was the one who least deserved a fate like this, which I think is deliberate, right? Let me just have a little drink. Um... Yeah, so after she reaches the end of the rope, we see that she is immediately turned into a ghost. Um, she's hanging there with this horrified look on her face. She's still conscious, like she's dead, but still conscious, like she's a ghost, like she's fully awake in her ghostness now. Um, she then drops down through the floor and into the bedroom of a small girl, her younger self. Dun, dun, dun. She hangs with a, like she's still horrified as she starts to realize what's going on. She then falls through the floor again and down through the roof of a motel corridor next to a vending machine, then through another roof before stopping prone above her 26 years younger self, her own Innocent face, looking back in complete terror. Like, this is one of the best twists I've seen in film or TV. Nell was the bent neck lady the whole time. She had been haunting herself for two and a half decades. This reveal that time in the house does not run linearly is a very exciting reveal. I personally love when 
movies or shows that aren't about time travel play with time travel. Like Prisoner of Azkaban, fucking great. It's got time travel in it, right? Um, yeah, so this is very exciting for me. Um, like, when you're at this point, you're only halfway through the season and the show has just dropped this bomb on you. I was amazed. Like, this is like an end-of-season kind of reveal, right? We're halfway through. What is the end going to be like? Right? Um, now, before I forget, the reason that Nell's acceptance is not shown in this episode, it kind of is. Like, she kind of accepts the life that she's had when she goes back to the house and she's, you know, enjoying herself and got a big smile, even though it's kind of, like, not real, she still seems to have been like, you know, she's able to actually feel some joy again, if that makes sense. Um, but it's it's more really rammed home later on when she accepts her death and returns in the final episode to save her siblings from the house and a similar fate to hers. Um, bar the finale of this season, this is the best episode. Number five, it is a fucking ripper. Um, and once you have processed episode five, you're into the second half of the season, which is very different, but it's just as good. So episode six begins with an epic 20 minute plus one take that follows the Crane family who have been re reunited um, the night before Nellie's funeral and the, the drama that ensues with their opposing personalities. The one take not only follows multiple conversations at the funeral home, but then follows Hugh, the dad, down a dark corridor where his mind travels back to Hill House without the frame cutting. The move from the funeral home set to the Hill House set is seamless and really impressive camera work. I'm sure there's a cut in there, but it, it looks really, really good. Um... This episode is called The Two Storms because there is catastrophic weather battering both Hill House and the pre-wake. The sleep, if you will. That's not funny. Um, during the Hill House storm back in 1992, Nellie mysteriously vanishes. Right? Like, all the kids get out of bed, the parents get out of bed, and the power's going on and off, and then Nellie just disappears. Right? And then during the funeral storm in 2018, the family get into a huge argument, which is only stopped by Nell's coffin falling over, right? Her own doing, just to get them to stop fighting. Um, they all say how much they miss her and need her. Cut back to Hill House, and after some time of being vanished, Nellie reappears. And she says that she'd been standing there the whole time, but no one could see her. As child Nellie says, I was right here, but none of you could see me. We see her ghost standing next to her coffin, crying through her dead grimace. This is another one of the most heartbreaking moments of the show. It's so fucking sad and so well done. It pays off six episodes of character work at the same time. And it plays such games with your emotions. And because it immediately follows 
like Nell's episode with the big twist, it kind of gets forgotten, but this is one of the strongest moments in the series. Really, really fucking awesome writing. Um, the next couple of episodes sort of reveal more secrets about the house and its previous inhabitants, and, you know, they reveal what caused Olivia's mind to unravel. Um, we learn more about the mysterious Abigail and the Dudleys, which I won't go into. Um, it, th these last few episodes beautifully, brilliantly add layers of um, superb story like to the, to the siblings' childhood and show like how what happened to them as children made them who they are now and make them make the decisions that they make, if that makes sense. These last few episodes, and they, they, they build the suspense and the tension heading into the finale, but also being just great on their own. Like, they build to the big reveal of the mysterious Red Room, which is, like, something that you're waiting to find out about from episode one. It's, it's this um, mysterious locked room in the house that they've never been able to enter. Um, the room has mystical properties of its own beyond the time-warping abilities of the house. Um... In the closing two episodes of the season, we're fully introduced to Poppy Hill, who is really the only evil, evil ghost. There are others that aren't nice, but Poppy is the one who does the house's bidding, along with Olivia when she's dead. Um, she is played awesomely by Katie Parker, and she was clearly alive in like the 20s or 30s because she has this great East Coast old-timey accent that somehow makes her even more terrifying. I don't know. Um, and though the house is sentient and fully intent on murdering its inhabitants to seemingly feed itself, Poppy is really kind of still the villain, especially in these last few episodes. Um, she's there when Olivia dies and then Olivia kind of becomes the house's way to get the rest of the family. But, Poppy does a lot of the heavy lifting in that regard as well. I won't dissect the last few episodes too much because, you know, they are seriously up there as, like, some of the best, like, brief sequences of episodes in a show that I have ever seen. Um, but I will talk about one of the final moments of the show that, you know, that I, that resonates with me, not resonates, that, that moved me the most and that I think about the most. Um, the whole family has been lured into the red room and, you know, the, the house is about to get them, right? And then they are helped by Nellie's ghost. Victoria Pedretti, who plays Nell, delivers this absolutely mesmerizing monologue. It's where the mystery of the red room is revealed, but she also talks about what she's learnt since her death. I'll read out a bit of it because it's really, really like, it's quite something. I thought for so long that time was like a line, that our moments were laid out like dominoes and they fell one into another. And on it went in a long line between the beginning and the end. But I was wrong. Our moments fall around us like rain, 
or the snow or confetti. I'm not gone. I am scattered into many pieces, sprinkled on your life like new snow. I loved you completely, and you me the same, and the rest is confetti. Out of context, that's a little strange to read and probably for you to hear, but I assure you, at the end of this season, and with Pedretti's delivery, that is one of the most moving scenes I have seen on television. It, 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 there's like some other little bits in there that I left out because they would make it more confusing, but there's just, it ties together so much of the show. Like Nell is definitely, like even though she's like, she's in less of the show than any of the other siblings, but she is the core. She is the heart of that family. And like, it still takes her even from the afterlife to like, bring them together at the end and save them at the end. It's so bloody well done. There is no other way to describe it than bloody well done. Um, the Horny of Hill House is easily one of the best conceived pieces of art in the streaming medium. Like it's not only got a perfect screenplay, but it adds a whole other dimension to what great horror can be now. Like the show has great scares, but what it does best is build the sense of dread and helplessness, right? It builds the power of the house and the vulnerability of the family at the same time. One of my favorite things about the show that I really wanted to mention is all the hidden ghosts in the background. It is for me, the scariest part of the show. It'll be like the middle of the day and two characters are just talking about like paint or something. And then you notice a figure standing behind an ajar door. You're like, is there a person? Oh, Jesus Christ, there's a person standing there. Or, or it'll be a reflection in a window with no one to cast that reflection. Like every single episode, I think every single episode has hidden ghosts in it. And if you go into the show not knowing that they're there, it can be quite a fright when you spot them. That's what happened to me. I like, there was a couple that like, you almost notice them just before the frame cuts, the camera cuts away to something else. You know, like, was there a person in that doorway? What was that? And then you sort of forget it and you move on. And then like 20 minutes later, you're like, I swear there was someone there just a second ago. And then there'll be like a really obvious one an episode later and you go, holy fuck, that is terrifying. Cause they're always just staring unblinkingly, unmovingly, just directly either like at the characters or down the camera. And there are so many, there are some who are like really fucking close. They're not like down the end of a corridor. There'll be some that are like a meter away from the characters. And you're like, Oh my Jesus Christ. Like they are, it is the best horror aspect of the whole show it's got great jump scares it's got really really high quality jump scares they're not cheap like what you get in most horror films and stuff there's great jump scares but the the stuff that i love is all the hidden ghosts it's so good you don't have to like have a big loud noise and some scary image jump out to be scary 
this stuff is good enough. It's so high quality. Um, there is nothing bad that I can say about Hill House. It is so rewatchable. It it makes you sad. It makes you happy, afraid, intrigued, shocked. All of it. Purely off of this, I will watch anything that Mike that Mike Flanagan creates in the future. I need to watch Doctor Sleep because he directed that. I need to give that a look. Um, this show easily earns the title of masterpiece. Mike Flanagan is a genius, purely because of this. And and that is that's about it. That's all I have to say. It is sublime. If anyone ever asks me, oh, you know, what shows have you watched on Netflix? Like, um, I haven't got anything to watch. This is the first thing that I recommend by far. Do not be afraid that it's a horror show because it is to your detriment. All right, that will do. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Remember to follow and subscribe to the podcast. Um, I do only have a small following, so... If you like my stuff, tell your friends, spread the word. I really appreciate it. And make sure while we're still waiting for the vaccine to be more available, um, that we're still being vigilant and looking after each other and all of that. And remember that next week, probably on Thursday night rather than Friday, I will be reviewing Bly Manor, the follow-up to Hill House, season two. Um... So look forward to that. All right. Thanks so much, guys. I will catch you next time. Bye.